Hello there, Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Before we do anything, I just want to quickly do something before I forget, because I know I will forget. Last night, I walk over to the Scotiabank Theater here at Polo Park to do the introduction for Dunkirk. 680 CJOB was the presenting sponsor. And Jessica Ham, the hammer, who is an operator here at 680 CJOB, she's one of our promotions people part of our street team. She was there doing the setup, and as I'm walking into the theater, she says, hey, your high school chemistry teacher is in there. <laughs> I said, what? How do you know this? Well, he's he stopped and said hello. So Was he I, there to collect an uncom- incomplete <laughs> assignment from some time ago? Or? Probably. I was not very good at chemistry. I think I got a C in chemistry. So I walk in there, and I say, hello there. I'm Brett from 680 CJOB. I understand my high school chemistry teacher is in here. Where are you, Monsieur Mousseau? And then he sticks both hands up and he starts waving at me. So I just wanted to say hi to Monsieur Mousseau. Jean Mousseau, who was one of my uh, favorite teachers in high school. And I'm not just saying that. Because if I didn't like him, I wouldn't even mention it right now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. (laughs) There are plenty of teachers that I didn't like. But Mousseau was one of the good ones. He made science fun, whether you liked it or not. At least for me. There were probably other people who didn't like it, but I liked it. So, hey, I'm assuming so. Sorry I didn't have time to see you after the film. Now, uh, we wanted to just call upon something that's happening right now. How that adds up to 33 years in the state of Nevada. um, Good behavior, um, complying with the rules um, can mean up to a 50% reduction off the back end of of your sentence if granted parole. Um, that September 29, 2022 time could even move closer. So I, I wanted to put that on the record. And at this point, I'll ask um, Officer <coughs> Batista if you will um, move Mr. Laverne and Mr. Simpson again, and um, we invite uh, Mr. Fromong to the table, please. O.J. Simpson parole hearing. Thank you. Thank you. And he's just getting up now. He's finished. He's moving off to the side. He had been. He had done a, a fair amount of speaking, and one of the things that I found interesting, and I just want to play a, a quick clip here, Greg. I I didn't know what to think of this when it happened. Um, we have you as mayor, and we have that you are currently, well, very recently turned ninety years old. Ninety. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> We take two decades off and call you 70. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know it was an honest mistake and everybody was funny, but I, it, I, when I was watching it, I got the impression that the woman, and I didn't, I didn't write down her name, but the woman who was speaking there, I got the impression that she was genuinely swooning over OJ. At least that's what it looked like. I can't obviously speak for her, but... That's sort of the impression that I got from that moment and moments leading up to it. Because was that the same woman who was just on the screen while we yeah. were playing? I, Carol Bisbee, I think, was her name or yeah. is her name, and she is uh, sort of running things there in uh, in Nevada. So uh, we, I think, we're going to get a decision here fairly quickly. We're anticipating that within less than an hour of all the presentation being done, that they would have some sort of decision. So we will keep an eye on this. Twitter is talking about very little else. Donald J. Trump getting a little bit of a break this afternoon (laughs) as the world focuses on the world of O.J. Simpson. And I wonder if O.J. has an understanding of how many people are paying attention right now. It's probably playing right into 
his sense of egotism, his sense of self-worth. And you got that sense not only from the individual who was questioning him, maybe a little bit of swooning, but in conversation with those in the newsroom who are listening to and watching this, OJ seems to have a little bit of swagger and arrogance about him after all these years. Yeah, well, you know what? Here, here's uh, I have a... Uh... I have two clips here. Which one of these do I want to play? Let's try this one. Uh, we asked you what your plan would be if we were to grant you to your consecutive sentence. And you told us that you were going to complete commitment to change. Have you done that? No, I haven't. Uh, at one point, I couldn't take the course. You know, I took I took two courses uh, that I guess you guys don't give much credit to. It's called uh, Alternative to Violence. I think it's the most important course anybody in this prison can take because it teaches you how to deal with conflict through conversation. I've been asked many, many times here to mediate conflicts between individuals and groups. Uh, and it gave me so many tools on uh, how to use it to, to, you know, to try to walk these guys through, you know, not throwing punches at one another. Also, uh, at one point, a couple of guys came to me and they said, O.J., uh, I understand you're a Baptist. Uh, we're Baptists and we have no Baptist service here. Can you help us get a Baptist service here? I worked with them. We now have an ongoing Baptist service that I, uh, that's well attended. I attended uh, religiously and Pawnee is intended. Uh, and I realized in my nine years here that I was a good guy on the street. I'm sure when Bruce Kennedy, he'll tell you I was always a good guy. But I could have been a better Christian, and my commitment to change was to be a better Christian. All right, that's enough of that. All right. Wow. So, I don't know, it, it's just watching him, and he's kind of, he, he had the looks on his face are, I think, are the, are, are really telling. He's very animated, and he, he just sort of carries himself like he doesn't have a care in the world. I'm a, hey, I, I'm OJ. I'm a good guy, and... I've lived, I think the quote was, I've lived a, basically a conflict-free life. I've done my time, is the quotation on the TV screen that we're looking at right now. And I've noticed a couple times as well when others are speaking, a, a face that OJ made a lot through the trial of the century. That kind of that squinting look, that insinuation with his eyes and facial expression, that what the person who's speaking is saying is either unbelievable or somehow not factual mm -hmm. just you know that whole idea of where you feign curiosity slash puzzlement mm. and it, it, it's almost like an actor's look what, what did joey call it on friends smelling the fart acting you smell the fart <laughs> and you hmm hmm <laughs> And that's the look we're getting from OJ from time to time here. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it looks like the same guy from, from 20 years ago to me. Yeah, and just listening to some of the things where he's saying, I never saw a gun brandished. If you're not familiar with the situation, by the way, as far as why he's in jail, this has to do with uh, what happened in Nevada a few years ago. The former football star, uh, he tried to... Get him, get his hands back on some of his old memorabilia, and there was an audio tape that was very damning, and uh, he went to jail. And a lot of people suspect that maybe he ended up in jail, sort of as a, 
as retribution for the previous trial where he was acquitted. So now he's done, what is it, nine years now he's been behind bars? I think it's just over, yeah, it's approaching nine years if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So this is this is on. You can watch this on globalnews.ca. And in the meantime, we are going to pause. We're going to have a look at your forecast. And then we want to point your attention to another story you can find on globalnews.ca about reverse angle parking coming to downtown Winnipeg. For many, this is cause for celebration. But there's a but. We will tell you about that after yeah, your forecast, but. which is coming up next. So just before we came on the air... Brett and I were talking about what are we going to talk about in that first half hour. We've got a jam-packed show for you, including uh, University of Manitoba prof who's going to be on Jeopardy tonight. Cool. Speaking of setting your PVRs, uh, we'll talk to him. And then what I believe will be a compelling hour of radio from 2 to 3, Roland Vandell, along with two of his foster sons, will join us in studio. Uh, Roland will tell us about his life of... Drug abuse, alcoholism, attempted suicide to now one of leader in our community. We weren't sure what we were going to talk about in the first half hour. And then this story comes across from Global News from our good friend and colleague, Sean Leslie, that the city of Winnipeg has decided to pilot a program on Bannatine Avenue, reverse, it's not parallel parking, it's angled parking on Bannatine Avenue. Well... I was doing the happy dance because this is something I've been a proponent of for a long time. I was excited, posted on Twitter, posted on Facebook. Lo and behold, after I took a little bit of a look at this, the city of Winnipeg, based on what I see here, Brett, has managed to mess up a really good idea. So the story, I'll just quickly read the story here and then we'll fill in some of the blanks. Angled parking is coming to the exchange district next week. A pilot project will see angled parking on one block of Bannatine, west of Waterfront Drive. However, unlike angled parking seen in other Manitoba cities, I think of Gimli, for example. Is that still a thing in Gimli? I believe it is. Drivers will have to back in to the Bannatine spots. Backing into angled spots is the way many American cities are starting to institute the practice. This is according to an explanation of the pilot project on the city's website. Backing in also makes it safer for people accessing the trunk or cargo area of their vehicle. The pilot project begins on Monday and will last for roughly eight months. It will add 10 parking spaces to that block of Bannatine, according to the city. Now, when you the first thing you'll see uh, on this story is a, a diagram of, of the proposed spots where they would have the angles. And it says west of waterfront. So the first thing that I'm thinking is, okay... Are we talking like immediately west of Waterfront or are we going west of Rory? Because Bannatine Avenue is one of those weird streets where it's two ways for one block and then it's one way. (laughs) Correct. It's two ways between uh, Waterfront and Rory because you've got that traffic circle. Correct, sir. To handle eastbound and westbound traffic. And then once you pass Rory, then it becomes a one way. Well, no. So what they're doing, and you can find this on the... Winnipeg's city website. Good luck trying to find it. If you want to see it on the website, just email me, brett at cjob.com, and I'll forward it to you because I couldn't find it on the, the city's website. I think they've said they're they're going to redo their website. That's another conversation. <laughs> um, but uh, so they're going to turn that block into a one-way. So if, you're, if you happen to at all make that block of Bannatine part of your daily drive, or maybe or you're used to accessing a restaurant or whatever in that area, 
that's not going to be a one-way anymore. But this really grinds. You said you were doing the happy dance. I was. Note, note the past tense there. Yes. You were. Why were you? Well, one of the, I would say, one of the most uh, extreme benefits of this reversed angled parking is the fact that upon departure from your parking spot, if it's done correctly and the spots are angled in the proper direction, when you are leaving that spot, the lane of traffic that you're about to enter into is just outside your window. It's just to your left. It's right there. You have a perfectly clear view of the street, of the on- oncoming traffic, and you can safely put yourself into that traffic. The way this is set up, you will be heading westbound on Bannatine. You will back into that angled parking, and you'll be kind of on an angle towards the north and west. Yeah, the spots are on the south side of the street. They're on the south side of the street. So when you pull out, you're going to be eliminating a huge part of the benefit of this style of parking because now you'll be looking across the passenger seat through the window on the opposite side of your car to look for oncoming traffic. And I, I'm wondering maybe, like, I'm curious to know what led to them choosing Bannertine for one. Perhaps they've gone the way that they've gone where they're putting the spots because this way it doesn't alter anything that would be on the north, in the north lane. Like there's a there's a bus stop right on the, the diagram. Right, and there's also, I think, a couple of bays that allow for parallel parking. So I understand that there's some infrastructure there they don't want to disrupt. But I would suggest then that this isn't the proper place to try this out. No, I totally agree. And I I also wonder, do you think maybe they've gone this way because this is something that we're not used to and maybe having it so that uh, – having it this way, you can just – it's on your left side. It's on your driver's side. Maybe it's easier to back in because you can see it easier when you're backing in. Well, I know know that when you're parallel parking on the one-way streets – in downtown you're not very used to doing the parallel you're not used to doing the parallel park when the parking is on the driver's side of the car yeah because typically you do your parallel park and the cars are on the right hand side of you on the passenger side that's the way you learn that's the way you're tested mm-hmm. is you pull up alongside the car you've got a car a car width and you back up and you back into the spot when people have trouble is when they're doing that left, when the parked car is on your left on the driver's side. So not only is this more difficult for people typically because it's less common, the whole thing is less common because this is brand new. They, they've mucked it up. This is not the way it's supposed to go. 204-780-6868. Feel free to send us a text on this. We won't have time to take any phone calls, but you can text us with this. You can email us, Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. And once again, you can see more on this on globalnews.ca. And once again, what the the story on the website does not point out is that this is between Waterfront and Rory. So Waterfront and Rory, which is now two ways, as of next week, will be one way while they launch this pilot project. The angled parking spots where you need to back into the parking spots will be on the south side of the street so that's previously where eastbound traffic would have been and where eastbound traffic would have parallel parked um and again you need to back into these spots as opposed to driving in forward and uh, i will admit 
that if I I'm the guy who like I'm I'm not good at parallel parking. I once upon a time got not bad at it because I lived in Osborne Village and we worked in Wolseley back when Portage the station was sure. at nine thirty Portage. Mm-hmm. So I had no choice but to adapt. You you can't you can only drive around so long and find a spot where you have <laughs> room to just drive in. in. Sure. So eventually I actually got pretty good at it. And then we moved from here, from the portage to Polo Park. And then I moved out of Osborne Village. So my parallel parking ended. And I never, if I go downtown, I take a bus. So I would probably be a guy who avoids this kind of stuff just because I'm out of practice. Well, and this is way easier than parallel parking. It's like half a parallel park. Yeah. You just have to drive past the spot that you want. And then you don't have to get parallel to the curb at all. You just have to kind of do a 45. It's not even a 45 degree angle. I guess it is. Uh, but it'd be more of a 130 angle, right? Because, uh, or 135. Like it, it, it's as easy as it gets. But they've managed to muck it up. I, I'm I just I'm beside myself here. I was so <laughs> thrilled to see this, but of course the devil's in the details. And uh, guys, if you're listening at the city of Winnipeg, it's supposed to go the other way. Maybe we'll we'll have to try to revisit this at some point to get more of your feedback on it. In the meantime, we're going to pause. We've got global news coming up at 1:30, and then after the news, a University of Manitoba professor appears on Jeopardy tonight. Brett, I, I'm. Really hopeful I explained my concerns slash excitement about the reversed angled parking sufficiently. I believe I, you I did. know sometimes when I'm excited about something, my words either come out really quick or not at all. <laughs> and so there were a couple of times there where it was one or the other for me. And so I'm hoping that if you're listening, uh, you're not confused. I hope I didn't make it more confusing. And uh, we got a text message here. Hey, guys, love the show as always. Can we find out who they is? Is there one name we can attribute to the poor light times, bad intersections, and mucking up of parking? I think they need to hear from all of us. Thanks again, guys, at uh, 204-780-6868. And Louis Escobar joins us from time to time, and I think he's due for another visit the next few weeks. So He is actually going to join us in the first week of August, I believe, to sort of revisit Remember the Winnipeg traffic curiosities? Yes. So it was. it's meant to be a fun conversation, so I don't know that we're going <laughs> to hold his feet to the fire. He's going to join us for an hour. Yeah, he's really um, good with that stuff, so... Uh, this will be this will be at the top of my list for to sure. get the, the, the straight goods on this. Well, in the meantime, if you want more inf- information on that and you want to see where they're going to do this, you can go to globalnews.ca. It's Bannatyne Avenue, just west of Waterfront, between Waterfront and Rory. It's a two-way street right now. As of next week, it will be a one-way street to accommodate this angled parking. I want to play 20 seconds of a song from Weird Al Yankovic, which I am hoping does not apply to our next guest. I took Polvory for 100 and then my head started to spin Well, I'm giving up the part Just tell me now what I did and when Yeah, yeah I lost all jeopardy Baby Don Pardo even gets the announcer in there, right? Yeah, I'm was ashamed. Don, was Don Pardo the announcer on SNL for years as well? I think so. Actually, his voice is coming up here. I can't remember. Oh, it's coming up where he, he goes through the various prizes that he's not going to win. But yeah, you're right. I think he might have been the SNL 
announcer. Oh, no, it's a later part of the song. All right, that's good enough. I love that song. I don't even know the song. It's lampooning, but uh, I do like to play it. Why are we playing that? Jeopardy, baby. Is it Craig Kinn band? I think it's Craig Kinn. Oh, there you go. I think, yeah. That's probably it. Why do we play this song, Greg? Who's our next guest? Well, uh, if I'm writing it down, if I'm writing it down as my final Jeopardy answer, I'm spelling it the last name B-U-R-I, as in Professor George, and is it Burry, Professor? Beery, Beery. Yeah. Oh, but I would have got credit for the answer because I'd written it cor- correctly, <laughs> That's right. right? As long as you write it correctly, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> University of Manitoba professor George Beery appears yeah. on Jeopardy tonight, and I know you can't say. Oh, to- actually, tomorrow night. It's tomorrow, tomorrow night. night, okay? Yes. Tomorrow night. So that uh-huh. that's good for a lot of us because I forgot to set my PVR before I left oh, the house this morning so I can do it tonight. So it's tomorrow night. Tomorrow and, night. Yeah. And I know you can't tell us, but I'm hoping it's not uh, for the only time, but it's definitely for the first time. What was that's it like? Correct. Tell us about the process of getting chosen for this show. Well, it was a really fascinating experience uh, going there. It basically started where I did the Jeff the online quiz, which anybody can do, and I encourage people to do it if they like trivia. I think they could do well. Um, and you just spend half an hour online, and then you figure you'll never hear anything about it again, and you just had fun. Except I got an email a couple of months later saying you did really well on the online test. Would you like to come to Kansas City and do an inter- in-person audition? Uh, so my spouse and I uh, got in the car, drove to Kansas City for a weekend. It's a long drive. Um, did another in-person audition where they sit everybody down in a room and ask us all 50 questions and give us three seconds to write the answers down. And then they do a little bit of a screen test to make sure you're comfortable being on camera and talking. And you do a little mini game where you use the buzzers and see if you're, you know, if you're the sort of person who can handle that and that sort of thing. And then at the end, uh, after doing that, I was in the contestant pool, which they say they audition about uh, a couple thousand people every year to do that, but only you know three to four hundred actually get called to be on the show. So my odds still weren't very good. And they said I'd be in the contestant pool for 18 months, and uh, 18 months passed, and I thought, oh, that was fun, but I never got on the show. And then in March, out of the blue, uh, almost two years after I auditioned, I got a call saying, would you like to come to L.A. and be on the show in April? So that's what I did. So, yeah. so do you have to have an eidetic memory to be on this show? Because I I can't imagine being able to, to cram that much knowledge into my into my head. You know, there are just certain people who happen to remember useless uh, stuff. And that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, I've always been good at remembering sports trivia or movies that I've seen and the names of them on TV and so on. And uh, I think what I do for a living helps too, because... In history, you just come across all sorts of just interesting facts. And I read a lot. It's interesting, actually, to talk to the fellow contestants to try to figure out, okay, what, it was, what is it that makes us good at this? And I think it's just people who read and watch a lot of television, which is, you know, it's amazing that this is actually something profitable about sitting around watching TV all the time that eventually comes out. Because uh, it's, it's the sort of show you don't really know. It's not really academic knowledge. It's general knowledge. Um, and so they can ask you anything. So, yeah, I guess I'm just the sort of person who remembers uh, useless information, and uh, it has a it has a value. <laughs> so, 
tomorrow night, University of Manitoba yeah. professor George Bury appears on Jeopardy. We're talking about the road to Jeopardy. And yeah. were you always that guy, George, at parties and and elsewhere growing up, perhaps? Like, I remember the year that Trivial Pursuit came out. I think uh-huh. it was, you know, 1988, 1989. Mm-hmm. I think I got four editions, four copies of that game yeah. from various people who thought, oh, this would be a perfect game for Greg. Well, yeah, it was such a perfect gift. I got it multiple times. Uh, how, yeah. how many copies of Trivial Pursuit have you been gifted over the years? I, I have many. I have a Canadian. I have a regular edition. Uh, my spouse, she had the Star Wars uh, edition of Trivial Pursuit, which we played that together, and she just humbled me. I don't think she got one wrong which was the sign that I was definitely with the right person at that point. But uh, um, I've always loved it. It's funny you mentioned in the 80s, my parents got the game in the 80s when there was a sort of true pursuit mania. And I was a little kid at the time. And uh, I thought it was so cool that they played this with their friends. And so then when I grew up, I played it too. And uh, I've always been kind of a geeky guy. I like board games. And uh, so, yeah, trivia has always been, I love playing trivia games. And uh, yeah. So, have you sort of, is this like a lifelong dream or where is this a thing where people have encouraged you to go on the show and then you thought, you know what, I should give this a it, try? It, yes, it's a little bit of both. I, I watch the show quite a bit. It's uh, a good, you know, sort of easy supper time watch and I play along and I and I get a lot of them. And so I've had people say to me, well, you know, maybe you do okay in that. I thought, well, and then might as well, you know, I, so I just took, I didn't really think about it a lot, but I took the online quiz and thought, well, let's see how I do stack up against the people who actually get on the show. And yeah, as it turned out, I did pretty well. Can I test your trivia right now? Uh oh. Okay, I guess. So <laughs> if you're if you're on Jeopardy and yeah. the, the clue come comes up, this one-time Jeopardy contestant once answered, "Who are three people who have never been in my kitchen?" <laughs> oh, I don't remember that one. I don't no. remember this. I remember the joke. I don't remember who it was who said it though. Is it? Sean Connery quotation marks on oh, okay. Saturday Night Live. No, no it's no, Cliff. I don't think so. It was Cliff Clavin when he on That's from right. Cheers. Oh, right. he yeah. went on on, Je- on uh, Jeopardy and he had I think That's he had right. all of the money that was up for grabs. He went into Final Jeopardy. He had all he had to do was bet zero because he couldn't <laughs> lose, but he bet it all. And then he wrote down, yeah. "Who are three people who have never been in my kitchen?" And he lost everything. <laughs> There's, there's also the white man can't jump one where Rosie Perez is on Jeopardy and she just like wins a ton of money. That's she right. Food, food that begins the letter Q. I was kind of hoping for that as a category, but it didn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a big part, right? Jeopardy's become uh-huh. such a big part of pop culture, mm-hmm. and uh, the the uh, uh, the theme is synonymous with waiting mm-hmm. for something. It's something that will all hum, yeah. and immediately you know, okay, yeah, I better hurry up and answer the question, or somebody's waiting for me. And patiently yeah. but of course alex trebek is a mm. legend he's an institution and this is you know I, I i'm thinking you can answer this one did you connect yeah. with alex a little bit differently because of your common nationality uh, he apparently loves to have canadians on the show uh, in fact if you look at the friday episode on the friday episode uh he will in our little talking session he chose uh to go a little bit off book and talk about something uniquely Canadian, which is the fact I'm a big Winnipeg Blue Bombers fan and season ticket holder. And he chose to talk for about twenty seconds with me about the CFL, which was kinda cool. That is cool. Um, uh, you don't see much of Alex. I mean, he's got a big job. They do they take five of these shows every day. Um, and you basically the first time you actually see him is after is when you're doing your show and you're on stage. So what you see the contestants talking to him about, that is the sum total of the conversations I've had with Alex Trebek in my life. So it's very brief, 
Um, but they do say that he has a soft spot for fellow Canadians. Now, George, memory serves, and maybe this is false memory, that there was mm. a time not that long ago when Jeopardy had closed its door to Canadian contestants. Yeah, it was really weird, and I'm wondering that's why, that's why it took so long for them to call me and why I thought I was out of the system and expired. Because I, I auditioned and went to Kansas City, and then like four months later, I heard, oh, Canadians are no longer eligible to take the online test and apply. But at that time, I was already in the pool, and then another six months went by, and they'd worked it out or something. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a neat thing. It's an American show, but there are occasionally uh, Canadian contestants. So it's good that, yeah, we can. there was a time where we couldn't, but now we can do it again. I don't know. They said it has something to do with tax agreements, or I don't even know. But uh, whatever excuse they gave, now Canadians can go back on the show. So. You mentioned you were hoping there'd be a category of foods that start with the letter Q. What yeah. are some foods that start with the letter Q? Quince. What is quinoa? that? Quinoa. <laughs> oh, know. of course, quinoa. Yeah, yeah. That's about all. I, I guess that was the joke, right? But <laughs> 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 there are a lot of them, yeah. But anyway. Kumquat's not one, is it? No, uh, I think that's a C. I think it's a K. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, man. You're so, so what do you teach over at the University of Manitoba? I was on your profile. It looked like you, you did a ton of uh, different uh, general arts courses and such. Yeah, well, I'm not a I'm not a professor. I'm a sessional instructor, which means I just get hired to teach course by course. Uh, so I actually teach at both universities. I have to give a shout out to you at W as well because they also keep me gainfully employed. So um, I'm a, I, I specialize in Canadian, but because I need just to, I need the work all the work I can get. I'll teach uh, world and American, which I also have some qualifications to do. So I've done a lot of different history. Um, actually, the American cane comes in handy because Jeopardy is such an American show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's useful that being an American history teacher, hopefully I know some of all those obscure American presidents and generals and all the stuff they ask you. So, uh, Where but, did you grow yeah. up, George? What, what was uh, What's your high school? Where did you graduate I from? Originally from Brandon, Manitoba. I went to Vincent Massey High School in Brandon. But uh, my spouse and I moved to uh, Winnipeg about seven years ago. Fantastic. Shout out to Brandon. Yeah, yeah that's right. How how uh, hard has it been to keep it secret? Because you said um, it was in April that you appeared. Yeah, it's been kind of tough because it was such a. Um, and I can say this without giving anything away, one way or other. It was a very exciting and emotionally interesting experience, and so I wanted to talk about it with people. But uh, it'll be very exciting when I can talk about it without having to be really obscure and so on. But at the same time, it's been kind of fun because. It's kind of fun to keep all your friends in suspense and tell them, well, you'll have to see. They're, they're analyzing, like, as soon as I make a new purchase, they're, they're immediately like, hmm, you know. I, you know I, I didn't want it to be like that scene in Goodfellas, you know, where they all come in with new cars and coats after they pull off the heist. I didn't want to be like that. So I've been trying to live the same life and not reveal one way or the other or not seem too upset or too happy when I talk about the experience, just try to say, well, you'll see, we'll see. So, hey, and um, everyone will. Yeah. Hey, Brett, look, George picked up the tab. I think he won <laughs> Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, well, and they're telling me if I win, you know, then then, then I have to. So then yeah. I'll have lots of friends. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, George, put us on that list, and uh, we'd like to catch okay, up I with will. you again uh, next week or maybe in a month when your run ends. We don't know. Yeah. We'll be watching with a lot of anticipation. We'll wish right, you good well, luck and because we don't know what that. happens. It's kind of like right. uh, talking to Mark Shifley. He knows what happens in the playoffs, but we don't. And so we'll wish you good luck and uh, maybe we'll talk to you next week or in a month once uh, your run is over. 
That sounds good. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, George. George Beery, okay. he will appear for the first time tomorrow night on Jeopardy. Set your PVRs. He's University of Manitoba and University of Winnipeg. Sessional. What's that? Session Sessional instructor. instructor. Yeah. So uh, obviously absolutely filled with knowledge about a variety of things. We do have uh, confirmation now, uh, Brett, that uh, Chester Benning, the uh, the lead singer of Lincoln Park, has in fact uh, passed away at the age of uh, 41. Uh, indications, early indications are that he's uh, taken his own life. Yeah, walked out to the newsroom and Austin Siragusa mentioned it tonight and I the name rung a bell and I said, I need you to jog my memory. Who is Chester Bennington? And he says, the lead singer of Lincoln Park. So I, I, the, with the name, with that name, I was thinking of somebody older. So when he says the lead singer of Lincoln Park, I'm like, what? He's such, he's such a young guy. He's been successful with that band for well over a decade now. So that's just, I mean, yeah, 41 years old. It's just a, it's another tragedy in the, the music industry. We will pause, have a look at your forecast and once again, Jeopardy tomorrow night. University of Manitoba and University of Winnipeg instructor George Bure going to appear. Set your PVR. Your forecast is up next. Brad McGarry and Greg Mackling, let's go live to the O.J. Simpson parole hearing. Looks like a decision is being made. Community support and stable release plans. We've heard from you and from your victim. The question here, as with all parole hearings, is whether or not you have served enough time in prison on this case. Considering all of these factors, my vote is to grant your parole effective when eligible. Thank you. And I concur with Commissioner Corda and grant parole. And in addition, our decision, although difficult, is fair and just. I concur with Commissioner Corda uh, and agree to grant parole. Um, Mr. Simpson, before I cast my vote, um, I want to let you know that we believe that we're a fair board. We believe that we're a consistent board. Um, I will let you know that that consistency also goes to parole and um, we do not look kindly upon parole violations um, and if I cast my vote to grant and, the, and it concludes the hearing uh, our expectation would be that you not violate even the simplest condition of parole having said that um, I am prepared to cast a vote. I am prepared to ask the commissioners to set conditions. Um, if, if that happens, um, we will produce an order sometime in the next 15 to 20 minutes that will be faxed to you or presented to you at the institution, and it will become a public record. So based on all of that, um, Mr. Simpson, I do vote to grant parole when eligible, and that will conclude this hearing. Thank you. There you have it. O.J. Simpson granted parole by the, uh, that was the, that last voice you heard there was Connie Bisbee, who is the chairwoman of the Nevada Board of Parole Commissioners. Now, he has uh, been in bars because he was convicted after he tried to take back sports memorabilia in a budget hotel room in Las Vegas. 
He says he wishes he had not brought two, quote, security men along. Uh, in the parole hearing, he said he never saw one of them brandish a gun. And he also says that he has been humbled by his time behind bars and he has never made any excuses during his more than eight years in prison for armed robbery and assault with a weapon. And he also told the board he wants to live in Florida if he is released. There will be a long list of strict conditions to this parole if we can uh, ascertain and, and surmise uh, the the words of Connie Bisbee of the Nevada uh, Board of Parole Commissioners. She suggested that they do not look kindly upon those who violate their parole. So look for those conditions to be very strict. And uh, they will be a matter of public record. So we will have a clear indication of what those parole conditions are for O.J. Simpson. The bottom line is here that he has been granted parole. They're saying that he'll know what those conditions are in the next 15 to 20 minutes. What we don't know for sure is when will O.J. Simpson be released from prison. Yeah, because we heard them say you will be granted parole when eligible. And I'm just seeing a story here that's moved on our wire that reads, Television networks return to the scene of an old obsession today with blanket coverage of O.J. Simpson's parole hearing in Nevada. And it is interesting how... All you got to say is O.J. Simpson, and it it does it 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 awakens this this need to to watch. I mean, he really was the beginning of reality television mm-hmm. with the Bronco Chase. I remember my dad picking me and my friend Kent up from a Winnipeg Thunder game, and he says, "This is happening right now." You're and, not going to believe what's happening. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just they're the all the TV stations are just following a Bronco along the highway. I think I was working at uh, Earl's on St. James Street when it happened. I don't remember if we had a TV anywhere or not, but we certainly had a radio and uh, people were making phone calls to those that had televisions on so that we could keep track of what was going on. It was a crazy time, a crazy night. And of course, uh, some people still consider that the trial of the century. O.J. Simpson has been granted parole in Nevada. We don't know when he'll get out, but as soon as we know, you will know. Right here on 680 CJOB. The news is up next. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Thursday afternoon, right through until 3 o'clock. Three special guests in the studio. Roland Vandell is here. We met Roland at the HSC Radiothon late last year. And Brett, how many times have we said in the last several months, we really need to have Roland on the program? Uh, lots. I would say on bi-weekly. Bi-weekly basis <laughs> at least. Well... Roland and I are friends on Facebook with one another, and Kelly Moore, we've said it probably twice already this week, likes to call social media unsocial media. It can be, but sometimes it's an incredible way to learn about what people who are important to you are up to. And this post caught my attention. Uh, Roland always has uh, outstanding posts. This one really caught my attention. And uh, with your permission, Roland, I'd like to, to, uh, to read it out loud. Yeah. One of my first foster sons, my son Kyle Burstyn, with his permission, this guy has been to hell and back in over 40 group homes and foster homes in the Manitoba Youth Centre and the Agassiz Provincial Youth Jail 48 times by 18 years old. He came to me at 16. He's been with me for over six years, 22 years old now. He has a three-year-old awesome son, Jaden, a great girlfriend, Raven, and his beautiful mother, Connie. And I tell you, he is a miracle of the youth cares system. He's calm, stable, and a pleasure in our home. He's helpful. He has helped me with Winnipeg Harvest every week for four years. We've been through lots 
tough times, but he's like my son now, and he's a remarkable young man. You just never know who will turn it all around. The system doesn't need to look any further than guys and girls like this because there are tons of great examples out there. He's had the best social workers, and I have had the most amazing patient case managers attached to me. And believe me, (laughs) patience is a virtue because I can be a lot of work too, just like (laughs) these teens. It's true. (laughs) It's an outstanding message. A message of renewal, redemption, rebirth to a certain extent, right, Roland? And, and yeah. man, you've experienced that. It is. Uh, youth care changed my life. And uh, and I left the job of 22 years to be a full-time foster parent. And, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. What was that job that you left? I did flooring for 22 years, like on and off. Like I'm a journeyman flooring installer and... and uh, so anyways, that that was those were good parts of my life. Whatever, I was always able to fall back on that, and uh, but I just felt unfulfilled to a point, and then I started fostering one of my boys, Kyle, um, Kyle Prince. Uh, I coached him on Team Manitoba for the Canada Winter Games, and uh, so I ended up starting to foster with him, and then I then I uh, switched my whole focus to fostering. So. And that was in boxing, and that's where you may recognize Roland's name from. He was active in the boxing community. He's also a published author, Off the Ropes, pardon me, Off the Ropes, My Story, Roland Vandell, as told to Carlene Rummery. And you've got an outstanding website as well that people can visit, breakingthechain.ca. And on top of all that, a documentary about Roland's life, the wounded healer, the Roland Vandell story is available as well online. I had no problem finding it. It was a great experience getting to know you that way. But Roland, talk a little bit about your life now before we talk about life before and this calling that you seem to have to to help others achieve their full potential. Expand on what you were just telling us and, and why that is such a calling for you. I don't know. I, I just believe, like uh, the day I almost died, I tried to end my life, and uh, and I woke up uh, on a cold bathroom floor, and I got up like I was. I drank a bottle of methadone, so I ended up. Um, anyways, it w- it wasn't pretty, and I was homeless, and uh, and I don't know. It was kind of like a, a spiritual experience for me, and I and I just laid there and I thought about my life and thought about how selfish and self-centered I was being and how my dad died and then how my sons were going to grow up to not have a dad either. And, and I don't know, I got up and I phoned my mom and I was hospitalized and, uh, I've been clean and sober for over 15 years now. So, um, I always thought, you know, like, man, I got to make a difference in this world. Like, what am I doing? You know, like I was part of the problem. I wasn't part of the solution. So I like my life way better being a part of the solution. And I'm a way better coach than a boxer because I just retired with an 0-5 boxing record. So. <laughs> I'm not as good as Donnie Lawn and my Uncle Dan Mandel. <laughs> so you were clean and sober for 15 years. How long prior to that were, did you have problems with substance abuse? Uh, pretty much pretty much most of my teenage life and, and uh, in my 20s. And I go, I'm a motivational speaker, so I go talk all over and... And one of my, one of my, uh, like, it's a, a fact that I, I, like, I sobered up when I was 31. So I spent all of my 30s repairing my 20s. So, you know, it's, uh, and I, you know what? I think it's very common. A lot of people are lost in their 20s and 
we're all just trying to find our way, right? And you add substance abuse into that and and post-traumatic stress disorder, what's now what's now commonly called a co-occurring disorder. Um, it makes it really hard to get by in life. Uh, I, uh, what was that? It's commonly known as what? A co-occurring disorder. So when I'm suffering with uh, PTSD, mental health, and and uh, and using drugs and alcohol at the same time, like it's just everything's compounding off each other, and there's just really no solution at all, right? It just gets worse and worse and worse. Well, we'll talk a little bit about your uh, addictions and 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 your drug usage and your alcoholism and and also what drove you to that, what you were running from. But I want to meet these young men that you've brought brought with you. They are your uh, foster sons. Maybe you could do us the honor of uh, introducing us to these young men. Well, this is Nico Lapierre, and he's he's a great guy, and uh, they're all they're all over. Both these guys are over eighteen, and uh, Kyle's twenty two, and and your. 19 and um anyways yeah nico's a great guy and he's been with me for around two years i guess and kyle's uh been with me for six-ish years right around that and uh yeah they have they have uh i don't know it was and plus uh, plus at the red road lodge we have 47 uh 47 beds there so like with my my um community service in in uh in the trenches and on the firing line of life like uh I healed by helping others. I healed, and like uh, these guys showed me how to, you know what I mean. They keep me level, and it's all good. And like uh, I have problems, but I have quality problems, right? So it's just a perspective thing, you know. Like it's all good. Like I, I got a good life now. <laughs> so. Well, there's no question about that, Kyle. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you met Roland? Um. <clears throat> I was uh, 16, turning uh, 17, coming out of the youth center. Um, I uh, I was sitting there, and then Roland came, picked me up, and went from there. Went to his house from there, and then uh, just hang. I just uh, I don't know. I didn't really like the other foster homes I was I was in, so I used to run away all the time, and then uh, uh, I know I just. Liked it over at Rollins because it was like the staff over there wasn't wasn't like bugging me, harassing me, to, like do stuff with them. Like, just, uh, how like, quickly did you realize that you were going to stick with Roland? You were going to give him a chance, and and what was it that made you give him a chance to have an effect on your life? Um, I know the house over there was really calm. The like I said, the staff didn't really bug me with like what I had to do and stuff like that. They just let me be go on my own business. It was different than what you yeah. experienced in the past? Yeah, like all the other all the other foster homes I've been to they're like babying me and stuff. Like yeah. I didn't Trying really, to control them. Yeah. I didn't really like that. And just looking at this post that Roland uh wrote where he referenced uh, the forty in and out of uh, 40 group homes and foster homes and in the Manitoba Youth Centre and Agassiz Provincial Youth Jail 48 times by 18 years old. I hope it's not too nosy uh, to ask what kind of what kind of trouble did you get into that led you to, to these institutions 48 times by the time you were 18? Um, break and enter and arson. And then, um, well, arson was my first charge and break and enter was my second charge, I think. And then from there, I just kept breaching my probation because I kept running away from group homes and whatnot. I wasn't, like, uh, I didn't stay there for my curfew, so I'd just run away, go to my friend's house. And then, um, oh, no, just 
I was on the run for like about a year and a half. What does that mean? You were on the run for a year I, and a half. I was uh, cops were looking for me for about a year and a half when I was like fifteen. I was turning sixteen at the time, and then they found me over at my uh, ex girlfriend's house. And then were you in the city the whole time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you were maybe not that hard to find, but. <laughs> <laughs> it took them a while to find you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're asking you these questions and obviously you've agreed to come on to the radio and, and speak with Brett and I with a, at least a handful of other people listening today. Why Why are you, why are you willing to share your story with us? Uh, change, change uh, kids' lives, I guess. Uh, uh, make, make, make a positive change. I don't know. Try to make a positive picture. I mean, Kyle comes out and speaks with me too. We go speak all over and and stuff. And Nico's come a couple times too. And we go speak to uh, high schools and community forums and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he was also in the Wounded Healer documentary too. So why don't we pause the conversation and have a look at the forecast? We have in studio with us Roland Vandal, who is uh, now a retired boxer uh, with. Uh, with an 0-5 record, as he pointed <laughs> out. and 5 um, But hey, he's still got in the ring, which is uh, more than I can say about myself. He's an, an author. He wrote a book called Off the Ropes. For those with uh, with a good memory, uh, maybe a Jeopardy-style memory, you might recall that Greg and I spoke with Roland at the Radiothon a few months back, and we've been meaning to have him in the studio, and Greg made the arrangements to make it happen today, and he's brought with us a couple of his foster sons we just heard from Kyle Burston, and we also have yet to, to meet Nico Lapierre. We've met him, but we need to hear a little bit of his story. So we'll do that after we look at your forecast up next. It's actually up a degree. It's 24 outside 680 CGOB. We're honoring uh, what I would consider a, a, a huge community leader here in Winnipeg. And uh, I love this from your website, Roland. Faced with adversity, some people break. We'll talk about that a little bit of why you didn't give up. You... You tried to give up a couple different times. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. And, but you found a way through it. And we'll, we'll talk about why you decided to stay with us. And we're introducing you to two individuals that Brett and I are meeting for the very first time in our studio. Kyle, Kyle Burston is here and Nico Lapierre. We uh, heard a little bit about Kyle's story before we broke for the weather. Uh, Nico <laughs> uh, joins us uh, after a harrowing a medical situation, and uh, just talk about what happened to you when you were 14, Nico. Share, share that part of your story. So I was on, actually, I was on a a family visit with my dad, and I didn't really didn't really feel good. I don't know what was wrong with me. I was puking and just not feeling good. So I went home, and then two days later, I, I had a brain aneurysm, and then I woke up a week later in a coma, out of a coma, and it was... Pretty traumatic, to be honest. It was, yeah, it really changed me, to be honest. Um, I how really, did it change you? Like, my perspective on life and how I look at things and how it's so, um, the beauty of it and uh, how you can just lose it so quickly. So, so what, are the, 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 what are some of the things that you do now to celebrate the beauty of life or to, to embrace it. I understand that you, you've taken an interest in things like photography. So photography is, is a big one. I, uh, I picked skateboarding up and making music. So those are the things that help me with 
with coping the life and they make me happy because I can share my art in a way. When you're looking, when you're doing your photography is like you, you mentioned that you, it gave you perspective to sort of appreciate the beauty of life. So yeah. was that, was that just one of the things that where you were kind of looking around going, you know, this is quite beautiful. I'm going to capture these mm -hmm. moments. Yeah. Somewhat, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Something like that, to be honest. What kind of music do you make? Electronic. Really? Yeah. What do you do? How, what sort of instruments do you need for that? Uh, just a keyboard. It's that easy. Keyboard, computers. Yeah, that's it. A little bit of guidance. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're a part of a program that uh, we've told the story of several times here, uh, Lawrence Mall Hall and, uh, and the fine people over at the Broadway Neighborhood Center started something a long time ago called Just TV. It started out as Justice TV, and, and the that Roland, I think the, the, the crappy part of that program when it first started, if there was one, was the fact that you had to be in the system, right? You, mm. you had to have uh, had a brush with the law or something. <laughs> well, now that program uh, has proven to be so valuable for young people looking for artistic and, and ability to to express artistically now it's open to to those that are good at it and so now nico you find yourself in this incredible program uh talk about uh the program for those that don't know about it i probably didn't do it justice there so just tv is a multimedia program that uh orientates around um filmography and uh, music production so just that simple it's just that simple yeah i mean kids come from all over the city to oh, be yeah. a pro part of this program mm -hmm. Not just the Broadway neighborhood. No. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible, incredible program. I'd like to say, program. too, uh, Nico is going to be finishing his grade 12, September 8th. He starts uh, high school. And uh, we really want to try to get him into uh, either the Red River or the U of M film school. And uh, so I don't know if there's anybody out there that could help with that. Like, we, I really, we, that's what he wants to do, and I want him to help him make it happen. What, what do you see as the barriers right now to that before we uh, take our news break? Just navigating the system. It's really hard to navigate the system, hey? So um, these guys are lucky. They've had really, really good social workers, and, and uh, you know, they've had really good experiences with their, their time in care. So, But sometimes it just needs a little bit of help navigating everything, right? So the right things to do, where you can get funding, like all, all that kind of... None of us have a social work background, so we don't really know, right? So, Before we pause for the news, Nico, is your music online anywhere? Yeah. How do I find it? Uh, it's on SoundCloud. What's the the profile? A vestige. How do you spell that? Uh, v e s t i g. Okay. E d. E d. All right. Well, after we'll continue our chat. We have in studio Roland Vandal. You just heard the voice of Nico Lapierre as well as Kyle Burston, and we will continue our chat. We just got a text. High five to all the guys. So awesome to hear a good news story. That's from Michaela at 204-780-6868. Global News at 2.30 is up next, and our chat continues after that. I don't know if there's uh, simply enough time to get to the entire story here. Well, there really isn't enough time. We're going, going to do our best. Though Roland Vondell, he is uh, with us here. Off the Ropes, my story is the book. There are a variety of different ways for you to catch up and, and learn more about Roland's life. I spent 45 minutes uh, today, sorry, Brett, but I just couldn't uh, turn off the Wounded Healer, the Roland Vandell story. You can find that online. And Roland, you're telling me uh, that the guys at Just TV. Did a documentary on you as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that one's called uh, Filling the Void. And that was quite a while ago. And uh, I think they're looking at remaking it maybe. But because uh, that, that was quite a while ago. So, 
and you were uh, named as a top 100 community leader in Canada and the U.S. by the John C. Maxwell Awards team. And John C. Maxwell, one of the leading organizations for public speaking anywhere in North America. So that's that's a big deal. And if that's not enough, Brett, while you were in doing the global news, uh, Roland is telling me that there's a feature film in the future in the works right now. Yeah. that's uh, The film is going to be done by... Uh Juliet at Julie Jet Productions, and uh, it sounds like the script is done now, so it's going to go through the process, and it'll probably be going to film this year. Based on your life? Yeah, and the book, Off the Ropes, My Story, yeah. That's, how does that feel? I don't know. It's you're, kinda, you're kind of nonchalant about it. Like, yeah, they're making a movie about me. It's kind of like <laughs> surreal. You know what? The, honestly, the, what, what I think about myself is I'm just the messenger. My, You know, that's it. Like, uh, I don't know. I, there's nothing... There's nothing, like, th- that's what I'm saying about these guys. They changed my life, like, and the people at the Red Road Lodge, at the Homeless Mission, like, you know what I mean? Like, it changed my thinking because I I could really get into the woe is me stuff, like, uh, even up to five, like, five years ago. It's like, you know, I, it took me to be around people, like, hey, man, like, uh, I've got it tough. I had it tough, but, you know, like, um, I got a pretty good life now, right, so... You've mentioned the Red River Lodge a couple of times. Now. Red Road. Red Road, pardon yeah. me. What is the Red Road Lodge? Um, we're uh, we're right on the, you know, the uh, old Occidental in the corner of Logan and Maine? Yep. Well, we're, uh, uh, one of my peers, Richard Walls, uh, um, he shut down the bar, took out all the VLTs, and uh, changed it into a homeless mission and a recovery center. So uh, Beverly Roberts uh, runs it now. She's our executive director. But we have 47 rooms there. And, uh, and it's hard, you know what, honestly, I'm on the board of directors and it's really hard to make ends meet there. Like, we, you know, like we just barely make it by with funding and stuff and, and it's tough. I don't, you know, that that's my thing is I'm glad I'm sharp as a marble because I don't think about things and overthink things too, too much. And maybe if you were my ex-wife, you would say I need to think a little bit more, <laughs> but anyways, like, you know, um, I believe the age majority should be raised to 25. I went and spoke in Stony Mountain and I asked for a show of hands of who's been in care in here before. And like probably 80, 90% of the room raised their hand. And, um, you know, they should raise the age majority to 25, similar to Alberta. But um, I also think that if a kid makes, makes an emotional decision at 18 to exit care, that they have an option up until 25 to come back into care. If, you know, this aging out of care is something that we should probably do an entire program on, you know, a half hour or an hour on this, because on one hand, you have uh, the, the CFS, uh, the entire the entire program, the entire organization is under scrutiny and there are questions about its effectiveness and, and whatnot. And then on the other hand, you have people who are promoting this idea of of if you want and if you need to be under care until 25, that that should be an option. So that's that's a that's a tough conversation for a lot of people to have because uh, for a lot of people, that system's broken yeah. and that's just one part of it. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't ready at 18. Like, uh, I don't even know if I was ready at 25. Like, I had to make a lot of mistakes, eh? And, and uh, so... Do you mind if I share my notes? Give her. Okay, this, this is what I have is the cold notes version on, on Roland Vandell. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic. You were uh, severely bullied by your brothers and his friends. Uh, you were uh, married uh, just essentially right out of high school. You had a baby not long after that. You were sexually abused by your boxing coach. 
your uncle's Dan Vandell. So for those that uh, recognize the name, of course, he's an MP now and uh, the federal government, former city councillor. He was a boxer as well. One of the big things that really got you into the alcohol and drug problems that you that you experienced and, and that you, the road that you, you took yourself down, um, you kept a lot of these things to yourself. Yeah. You didn't share your story. And there was one quote that really stood out for me and just that idea that you're not that important. I'm not that important. Yeah. And uh, I've confessed some of my battles with depression myself. I have not been an addict. I've not been down that road rolling, so I don't pretend to be able to walk in your shoes. But I know that at different times I've said that my problems aren't important enough for me to cast dispersions, to tell the stories of the way others have affected my life. I don't want to destroy certain relationships in my world because of how I feel it's affected me. So I've kept those things to myself mm-hmm. that I'm not that important. So I'd rather just, I'll just deal with it on my own. Is that one of the obstacles to, to getting better, to, to getting the, the care that you need? Well, I'm in, I'm in, I'm really strong in the recovery circles and recovered from addiction and stuff. And that kind of pride, you know, you could be falling off a cliff and there's five people putting their hand out to help you and you're, you could be falling off a cliff and you could, give them all the finger on the way down, right? Like, you know, like, uh, it's kind of like cutting. Uh, I always have this in my head, this saying, cutting off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> you know, like um, pride. I don't know. I believe in the spiritual axioms of life. Like uh, my pride is an asset, but it's also a liability. You know, um, my ego is an asset, but it's also a liability. Like uh, there's, you know, um, I don't know. There's just so many axioms, right? Like uh, it, and it's such a fine line where we're walking and, you know, if you don't have supportive people around you and positivity around you, you're easily just going to be a product of your environment, right? So, Well, and in studio, we have, uh, we heard Kyle uh, Burston's story earlier and you've talked about how he's been in 40 group homes and foster homes and uh, through youth jail 48 times by the time he was 18. He's been with you since he was 16. Uh, he's now 22. Kyle, how uh, would you... How would you describe the last six years of your life? It's pretty good. I like it. Yeah. What uh, do you ever ever feel sort of the tempted to to go back to any sort of behaviors from your past? <coughs> nope, none whatsoever. What uh, What do you think would uh, would make you do that? Like, what would have to happen for you to go back to that? I don't know. Uh, so you're you're on the right path, I guess, right now. Yeah, Kyle went through a pretty traumatic thing uh, a couple of years ago too, and he can share it if he wants, but whatever. But like, it changed his life. He changed after that. Eh? It was a pretty kind of a violent situation, but he's okay, right? So, yeah. how has your uh, son changed your life, Kyle? How how has being a father changed your life for you? A lot. Yeah. My my dad wasn't really there for me when I was a kid growing up, so I want to be that type of person for my dad or for my son. I want to be there for him. How old is your boy? He's three. And I'm pretty sure my dad wasn't around the picture when I was that age. To the point where you use your mom's last name. Yep. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your mom? Oh, my mom's my mom's a damn saint. <laughs> I love her. I love her to the day I die. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My, my mom's awesome. And I just, I don't know. Yeah, 
I haven't really been seeing her though re- recently. My son and uh, my family too, I guess. She's a good woman. She came and cooked us turkey dinner one time at my house, at our at our house. But whenever I can, I usually I usually try to see her. But I haven't been seeing her recently. I should probably go see her soon. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be? I hope the, this isn't too. Uh, I'm not overstepping my boundary here, but if your mom is in the picture, how come you ended up having to go through so many group homes and foster homes? Um, uh, uh, my mom was uh, wanted by the police at the time. I didn't know anything about this at the time. And then uh, she got arrested when I was like maybe like five, six, six years old. And then uh, I, was, I went to like so many group homes I lost count. And then my auntie picked me up from uh, one of my foster homes. And then uh, she took custody of me and my sisters. And then um, from there, we I lived in uh, we lived in uh, Niverville, just a town a bit south from Winnipeg, like a half an hour, I think, or a 25-minute car ride. And then uh, I was there till like, when I was 12, and then all of my sisters ran away. And... Um, <coughs> When I was, I think, like about 10, 11, maybe. I think I was 11 years old when my mom got released from jail. And then uh, from there, I used to go visit her every weekend. And then every, I don't know, I just didn't want to live out there in the country no more. So I just packed up a bag of clothes and, like, some bread, (laughs) thinking that it would have took me a week to walk to Winnipeg, but no. (laughs) It only took me a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was points in, like, he, Kyle talks about this, but there was points in his life where he was literally living under a bridge, and, like, he really, he's just a really, really tough kid, eh? And, like, uh... Was and that it, all an effort to reconnect with your mom? Is that is that why you lived on the street? To reconnect with your family? Well, I guess when I when I ran away from my, my auntie's house, I got to the, uh... I got to, uh, I think it was like St. James area. I don't, I don't know. It was somewhere south, and then I biked all the way to uh, the Maples, <laughs> and then I saw someone on the street, and then I asked them which way it was to uh, this uh, community, this boys and girls club. Uh, it's called Pritchard Place, and then uh, they told me to keep going down the street, so I went down there, and then I got to my friend's house, and then like about like later, I got, I got there like around five o'clock in the morning. I went on his porch and I just like put my head on his, on his, uh, there's like a little table there. So I just put my head down on the table and I passed out for a couple hours and I woke up. It's probably like seven o'clock in the morning when I woke up and then I knocked on my friend's door and then his dad answered the door and he's like, who are you? And I was like, it's Kyle. And he's like, Kyle? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, like Kyle, Kyle? And I was like, yeah. And then he, he opens, I guess he's like, come in, come in. I guess my friend I was still sleeping at the time. And then uh he like goes up to him and he's like, Edgar, wake up. He's like, Your your friend Kyle's here. And he thought he was dreaming and then he like woke up and then they all were happy to see me. And then about like about twelve o'clock later on that day my mom called the house. She knew exactly where I was. I didn't tell her where I was going. She just huh. knew right away that if I know my son, he'll probably go to his best friends right away. Sure enough, I was there. She called me and she's like, "They're not mad at you. CFS is not mad at you. They're like, they're actually, they they they're actually surprised what you did <laughs> to come down to the city just to reunite with your mother." So right. So they're like, they they released you back to me. 
So wow. my mom came and picked me up from there. And then I stayed with her from there till like I was 14. And then, um, and then, yeah, I don't know. My mom started doing drugs, heavy drugs. And then I started getting involved with, uh, drug dealing. And I was, uh, selling drugs there for a while and living off of my own money that I was making. And, uh, I, I didn't really care if I got caught because I was a youth at the time, so I wouldn't get that much of a punishment as a, as adults would. But then, like, after, like, what I saw after, like, what I was doing mm-hmm. to other families, I just, I, I couldn't do it no more. We've just scratched the surface on this story, but I can tell you this, uh, if for one second you don't imagine that people can change their lives and come out the other end, better people, uh, we're sitting with three examples of uh, men, some older than others, who have gone <laughs> to hell and back and are doing their best to uh, not only contribute to society, but to to be there for their, their fellow man, for their friends, for their brothers, for their sons. And uh, I wish we had more time to talk about this. Will you come back and see us again, fellas? Yeah, yes. For sure. We've still got a couple more minutes. Yeah, don't we have to update the weather? Or? Yeah, we still got another couple of minutes on well, the hey, other side of weather. I, Fantastic. I wanted, uh, I wanted to tell you guys, though, like, in all honesty, like, you both, you guys have the perfect face for radio. Wow! Well, <laughs> how long? Do you, how long have you been waiting for it to use that one? Really? All, all the <laughs> and all the goodwill just goes out the window. <laughs> Roland Vandal is one of our guests. He is. We are joined as well by Kyle Burston and Nico Lapierre, his foster sons, and we will continue the chat. His website, by the way, breakingthechain.ca. His book, Off the Ropes, and we'll wrap up our conversation after your forecast up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Our guests in studio are Roland Vandal. You can read his book. It's called Off the Ropes. He has a website, breakingthechain.ca. He brought with us two of his foster sons, Kyle Burston and Nico Lapierre, age 22 and 19, respectively. And Nico, we don't have a lot of time, but I understand we, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the fact that you're into photography and that you have, uh, you're into making electronic music. You can find that on SoundCloud. Uh, Vestiged, was that what it was? Yeah. V-E-S-T-I-G-E-D? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to look that up after the show. But I also understand you're uh, working on a documentary. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. What kind of documentary? I want it to be about uh, children and, you know, teens and adults aging out of care. Or adults, my mistake, aging out of care. And I want to... Some of the kids that age out of care, you know, they revert to drugs and uh, becoming homeless. So I want want that to be the sort of the idea, I guess. So what sort of equipment would you need to do this documentary? Just a camera. Do you have a camera for that? With just TV, I'm going to be making it. Great. So mm-hmm. if somebody is listening to this and wants to get involved, how do they get in touch with you to help out with that? My foster dad, Roland. And Roland, how do we get in touch with you? I'm way out there on everywhere. Like uh, My uh, website's breakingthechain.ca. I don't really want to give out my phone number here. But no, not necessary. That's yeah. the best way. Go to breakingthechain.ca or get in touch with Brett or I, brett at cgob.com, gmac at cgob.com. All so many things to talk about, as we mentioned, and we've already extended the inv- invitation to you fellas to come back and see us again sometime. Uh, Kyle, what's uh, what's the plan for the weekend? Uh, lots of plans for you and the little guy? Uh, 
nothing really. I'm probably probably gonna go see my mom this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And lots of dad stuff, right? Yeah. Hey. Congratulations on uh, your pending project, Roland. Thank you. Thanks for everything you've done. Congratulations on the book, the website, uh, this honor in terms of your public speaking, and keep us up to date on that feature film. But you guys will come back, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Lots yeah. more stories to share. Yeah. Roland Vandal, once again, his website, breakingthechain.ca, and his foster sons joined us in studio as well, Kyle Burston and Nico Lapierre. After Global News at 3 o'clock, we are going to talk about the eclipse, a total solar eclipse, 2017, when, where, and how to see it. 3.08 on this Thursday afternoon. Brett, I meant to do this while you were reading the news, but I was uh, looking after something else. Uh, the last total eclipse, Manitoba, I think it was 1979. 1979, I'm sure of it. I remember being in grade four. Yeah, February 26th, 1979, the last solar eclipse, a total eclipse of the sun oh, in man. Manitoba. And it was it was crazy. All the things, all the hubbub, the hullabaloo going on around it. Uh, I can remember being at school that day. They had uh, tin foil and stuff on the windows because they were concerned we are going to look out the window and, and stare at the sun. And obviously, that's a, that's a big thing. But they, they, they set it up so that we could all watch the eclipse on the TV, even though it was happening right outside our window. And uh, it was a big deal. There's a total solar eclipse coming up in August. Uh, we won't get all of it, but not too far away, they'll get the the full effect of the eclipse. We are joined now by Scott Young, who is a regular contributor to this radio station, manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. So the headline on this particular article that I have in my hand here is Total Solar Eclipse 2017. Where do I have to be to experience a total solar eclipse? Well, you got to get in your car and drive about 12 hours south is about the closest point. Um, Nebraska, basically in a line from Oregon on the west coast of the states and then sort of arcing down into the, into the south a little bit um, through Oregon, through the central United States, and then out uh, to the Atlantic Ocean around uh, the Carolinas. There's a, there's a path in there where we'll see the same thing that, uh, that Winnipeg saw in 1979, that, uh, that total solar eclipse. And it is one of the most awe-inspiring sights in nature. Uh, that's the day that I became an astronomer when that eclipse rolled through Winnipeg. I was I was in grade three, and same thing. You know, they were watching watching it on TV, but I stayed home, and my parents uh, knew enough that during the total phase, you can actually look at it safely. And I looked at this thing, and it totally blew my mind. I was all I always felt ripped off that we didn't get to do that. I have to admit, Scott. Well, and that's one of the reasons that every time something like that happens, we try and get the word out early enough, because uh, there's a lot of people that, that think something happens during an eclipse to make the sun dangerous, and, and that's not really the case. The sun is no more dangerous during an eclipse than any other time. It's just that nobody looks at the sun for three hours in a row any other day, because there's nothing happening. Um, but during an eclipse, people look at it regularly, or they want to look at it with a telescope. Um, so you can never look at the sun any time without proper protection. And uh, if you were to look at the sun with a telescope, um, you would instantly blind yourself, instantly, permanently. So it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And it, I guess it's not surprising that, you know, schools, if they're not sure of the science or of the, of the basics, you know, to, to err on the side of caution and just make sure that the kids are just going to stay inside. 
So a couple of things that really jumped out there. So you're telling me that during the the total eclipse portion, when the sun has been blacked out and it's just that little rim around the moon, it's actually safe to to look at it with the naked eye? That's right. Uh, We watched the partial phases in 1979 on TV, but during the the total phase, which only lasts, I think it was two minutes and 14 seconds or something like that, the, the bright part of the sun is completely blocked by the moon. So that means none of that normal bright sunlight is getting there. And all you're seeing is this ghostly blue ring that comes from the outer atmosphere of the sun, the corona. So it looks like this hole in the sky with this bl- glowing bluish rim around it. And it's, it is awe-inspiring. I mean, it's no surprise that people travel all over the world to see these eclipses. Uh, there are people that go, you know, there's an eclipse somewhere in the world every year pretty much, and people will travel all over the world just to stand in the shadow of the moon for those couple of minutes and uh, and see that sight. And the second thing that jumped out of me there as far as the, the telescope goes, so does it matter what kind of a telescope, uh, like just a simple telescope that, you know, you might use in your backyard? I mean, I'm certain, yeah, and- I don't want to encourage anybody. I'm saying, like, is there any safe... Is it just if you have a telescope, don't use it to look at the sun? Well, there are, there are a couple of safe ways to, to observe the sun during an eclipse or not. I mean, you can uh, with your unaided eye, you can pick up, uh, you know, we have eclipse glasses here at the, at the museum shop that uh, basically filter things out. But um, with a telescope, you really have to have a specialized filter that fits over the front of the telescope. The, the filter itself probably costs $200 or so. So if you're thinking, you're not sure if you're, your gear is is uh, up to the task. It probably isn't. Um, you can use your telescope um, like a like a magnifying glass and not put your eye where the eyepiece is, but put a piece of paper there and move the paper back and forth to focus. It's a, a method called solar projection. We have some information on our website on how to do that. But basically, that's one way to do it. But the problem is, if you put the paper too close, if you put it where your, your eye would be, it will basically burst into flames. So it's it's something that you you want to know what you're doing um, when you're when you're trying this out. And I think that was as close as we got to seeing it, Scott, as they did this uh, slow solar projection. I think you just called it onto yeah. a piece of paper, and we managed to to monitor. You could actually see the the moon making its way across the sky. It was a fascinating time. I recall writing a little essay about what I would be doing the next time this happened uh, in Manitoba, but I don't remember when that was. So yeah, when I is the next 20, time? Yeah, 2187 is the date that I remember. It's, it's far enough after my possible lifetime that, to be honest, I haven't, uh, I haven't kept caught. track of it. <laughs> okay, so that's good. Uh, so I guess maybe we're just talking about the world might be like in 2187. I, I've always been fascinated as well, the, the historical relevance of total eclipse. Uh, I've imagined that in ancient times, this must have set off a tremendous amount of panic. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, if you think about it, you know, we, we still say, you know, as sure as the sun rises every day, like the, the rising and setting of the sun is one of the cycles that is uninterrupted throughout human history. And then suddenly it starts getting dark in the middle of the day and you don't know why. And you look up at the sky and the sun is getting smaller and smaller and then it disappears. Like, what's going on? Is this the end of the world? I mean, and there were all sorts of explanations given about what was going on, and um, there are still some traditions today where people will go and beat pots and pans during the eclipse, and that, you know, that frightens away the, the monster that's eating the sun or, or whatever. Um, luckily, that always worked because the sun always came back. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, when you look at these things, we sort of have that connection with those folks that, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, before we really knew 
the mechanics of what was going on, there was still this awe-inspiring, beautiful thing happening, but it was probably also terrifying. We got a text here from somebody who says, in 79, we used welding helmets to watch. Is that uh, yep. an approved way to, to use or to, to watch uh, an eclipse? Uh, yes and no. There's a, Welding helmets all have a, a number rating, um, and the higher the number, the denser the filter is. And, and anything that is a number 14 welder's glass, which is pretty much the, the densest one that you can get, um, that works really well. Um, and that is totally safe. It filters out not just the brightness of the, of the light, but also the um, infrared, the ultraviolet rays that we don't even see. Those are the things that can give you a sunburn. It filters that stuff out, too. A lot of um, other things like sunglasses or, you know, I, I remember someone asking me if you could hold a CD up, if that was good enough. That doesn't block any of the, of the proper um, radiation or things like that. So you really have to be careful. Hey, Scott, can you stick around for a couple more minutes? We have to update weather and uh, traffic. And then we want to know what the Manitoba Museum and the Planetarium are doing to uh, celebrate this coming event, August 21st. Absolutely. Okay, Scott Young joining us. He is manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. As promised, traffic and weather together next. Monday, August 21st, 70% of the sun will be covered by the moon here in Manitoba. Several ways for you to observe this natural phenomenon safely. And there's also some events coming up. There are events coming up to celebrate this pending total solar eclipse. If you want to uh, make plans to head down to Nebraska, might be the, the shortest distance straight south on uh, I-29. Or you can hang around here and you can visit... Scott, I'm looking at the news release here. Are, are we calling it a new planetarium at the Manitoba Museum? Uh, well, no, we, we have a new planetarium show that is specifically about the eclipse. It's called Chasing the, the Shadow, and it basically talks a little bit about eclipses in general, but then really focuses on the one that, that's coming up in August, How, you know, exactly what it's going to look like, what's going on, what time things are, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like the, uh, the preview show. And, um, I mean, we, we upgraded our planetarium projection system about, uh, I guess it's about three years ago now. We have a, a Digistar digital system, and it's, it's pretty amazing. We can really recreate, um, you know, a, a, an amazing event like an eclipse inside repeatedly, which is kind of nice. One of my favorite places to go always was the was the planetarium, but I haven't been there since you upgraded the system. I, I, I think we're due for a visit. And you also mentioned the idea that uh, people can get the proper glasses at the gift shop here. Chris texted us at 780-6868. He classifies himself as an amateur astronomer. He says it should be noted it's still generally not a good idea to look at the sun even during total totality of the eclipse with the naked eye, as you would have to be somewhere that has it fully covered up very small threshold for this well yeah that's the uh, the thing about the it it does not just at the maximum of the eclipse it's only during the total solar eclipse uh when the the sun is completely blocked out and that's that spot that doesn't come through manitoba so for this eclipse you're going to need the eclipse glasses and and because of the safety aspect we we partnered with the uh, the manitoba association of optometrists who of course are the eyeball specialists and um we made sure that you know the, the the glasses that we sourced, we partnered with them and brought them in, and, and uh, they are completely safe um, for all phases of the eclipse. So that uh, that should cover everybody's safety concerns. What do those glasses cost? Three bucks. Really? Uh, I think that sounds they, like a great investment. 
You know, they're, uh, they're, I've still got a set from a previous Eclipse. If you still have them, just check them out and make sure that there's no pinholes. But, I mean, for 3 bucks, it's kind of, you know, my eyesight's worth more than 3 bucks, right? But um, they look like those old uh, 3D glasses that you might have had when the, the, the TVs would do 3D movies <laughs> yes. and stuff like that back in the old days. Yes. Except the filter material is a really, really um, dark, blackish mylar uh, film that, that filters out all the proper stuff. So that will, will cover you pretty well. That's great. Well, listen, I think we'll have to try to pay you a visit and pick up some of those glasses because, uh, you know, every time there's an eclipse, I never really get to take advantage and have a look. Well, what time of, well, the, day, no, what time of the day is this happening in our neck of the woods, Scott? Well, here it starts uh, just before uh, noon and goes to about uh, a little bit after 2 o'clock. Uh, and on the, on the uh, eclipse glasses, the last time we had an eclipse um, about... Eight or nine years ago, we had a small partial eclipse, and we had a big run on those glasses, so they, we actually sold out of them. Um, so we brought a lot more in this time, but uh, you might want to get them now if you want to make sure that you uh, you have them in time for the eclipse. Well, I'm thinking we need to do our show, <laughs> Mackley McGarry, from that incredible courtyard. Yeah, why don't you uh, come down? By the planetarium uh, on August 21st. I think we'll have to make a plan to do that. You're full okay, of good let's, ideas. Uh, let's chat about that. That'd be awesome. Okay, Scott. <laughs> appreciate your time. Thanks for the insight. And uh, I'm so glad that the uh, 26th of February 1979 means so much to you. It's a day that I will never forget. And uh, clearly it was the beginning of uh, something special for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was the day I became an astronomer and just was exposed to all the wonders of the universe that are out there. Scott Young is the manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. The eclipse is on August 21st. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. If you haven't heard, and I don't know how on earth you may not have heard this, but uh, O.J. Simpson has been granted parole in Nevada. I got to give a shout out to my buddy Dave Obirik on uh, Facebook. I don't know if he wrote this, but he posted it. In Canada, we have free Slurpee Day, but in the USA, they have free juice day free juice day oj the juice that's his nickname i thought it was pretty funny and as Brittany greenslade says if you have to explain the joke it's not that funny i'd run true for me it 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 struck a chord with me sorry man you always i always forget they call him the juice yeah even though i watched the show and david schwimmer called him juice says uh Bob Kardashian, I guess, is it Robert Kardashian? Called him Juice like 75 times an episode. So uh, I should have known that, but I didn't. Yeah, never mind. I'm moving on. Hey, we have some tickets to give away. Super Spike, MTS Super Spike gets underway tomorrow. Maple Groove, Maple, gee, Maple, Maple Grove Rugby Park. Maple Groove, but it, there's going to be a lot of people There is grooving. a lot of grooving. You're right. Thank you for bailing me out on that, Brett. Uh, 204-780-6868 if you'd like to go see that. Uh, this is a hockey slash TMZ type question for you. Tom Wilson is a left winger for the Washington Capitals. Who is his girlfriend? And uh, this ties back to Winnipeg and volleyball. So if you know a little bit about Winnipeg volleyball and a little bit about hockey and you're a little bit in the gossip scene, you will know who Tom Wilson's Winnipeg born and raised girlfriend is. And her tie to the volleyball community is uh, very obvious if you know who she is. 204-780-6868. Tom Wilson, Washington Capitals, Winnipeg born and raised volleyball player that is Tom Wilson's girlfriend. There you go. There's your hint. Um, Fringe Festival gets underway today. One of my very favorite times in the city. Brett, do you, do you fringe? Are you a fringer? 
I have only been to the Fringe Festival one time. I'm ashamed to say it, and it's not because I don't like it. I just never end up going, and uh, every year I kick myself. Why didn't I go this year? And it'll probably happen again this year. Hopefully not. I think we have someone in studio who's going to try to convince me to get off my lazy butt. What are your favorites, right, Kyle? I'm waiting to be introduced, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I will tell you to go off your lazy butt, and that's a few one of the few times I could tell someone to get off their butt and stop being lazy. Thank so you, I'll Kyle take Moore. full advantage of it. And I fully get that it is a hard thing to go see the Fringe blindly because I've talked to many people, and if they say they haven't gone, it's because they don't know what shows to go see. It's intimidating. There's 200-plus shows usually to go check out, and... I remember the story, I'll be brief, my, that my dad went to the first, the first Fringe show my dad went to, just went to go check it out because the other one was busy, get to the end of the show, the guy's naked for the last five minutes of the oh, show, great. and that was his first Fringe episode, that was his first Fringe show that he went to, so he's, got, he's been to some since, but it can be, uh, it can be quite the minefield to, to wade through if you're not sure. Do you remember Erica M. from Much oh, Music? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, she had a show in Winnipeg, must have been a decade ago, where I think she was naked for most of it. Most of the show. Yes. Interesting. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I missed that show. Yeah, me too. Uh, so what are you going to be looking for, Kyle? And and give us some more um, fringing advice. Because fringing advice. I like to just go hang out yes. at Old Market Square because they've got the stage there. They've got beer gardens there. They've got food, the food trucks. trucks. Oh, yeah. Which is great. And that's, you know, that could be for anything. But a lot of the performers are hanging around. They're handing out the playbills and trying to coax you to come and see their play. There it's is, a yes. Great they got lots go of. Home. A ton of playbills you can get there if you're not sure where to go to. There's a lot of venues around there, too, so you can just hang out at the exchange all day. And uh, if so, if you get a, a flyer that says, hey, there's a show in half an hour at the King's Head or at Cinematech or down at uh, the Pantages just uh, across the street, go check it out. There's plenty of places to go. Um, there's so are you just venues. like a fringe lunatic or are you just a fringe fan? I suppose so. I, I, I never really got into the fringe until I met my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time. Um, I like, I, I'll go and get the program, which I have here for handy reference. Uh, they're five bucks at, uh, you can get them down at the fringe or, or at, uh, LCs all over the city. Uh, I like just taking a big schedule and figuring it out so I can get to a couple plays a day around the same area and things like that. So yeah, I'll take a couple of days to make sure that, uh, works out and then we'll go down. We started, uh, there was a couple plays on last night that we went to see, or one last night, but uh, it was at the King's Head called Hockey Night at the Puck and Pickle, which is a very cool play about uh, about hockey. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm writing that down. Yeah, it's at the King's Head. There's a couple of good shows at the King's Head. Also, uh, uh, quick recommendations this year. Uh, the Gas Station Theater has a lot of cool stuff. Um, Hot Thespian Action, which is a sketch comedy group. <laughs> They're very funny. Um, honestly, if you look at all the shows, they go from about 5 p.m. till about midnight at the gas station. If you bought tickets for all of them, you'll be you'll be very happy. So those are some of my... That's a recommendation there. But yeah, like Mackling said, you can just go and chill at the exchange all day and eat some uh, you know food truck pierogies or tacos and you'll have a fun time. I just want to say something as well. You mentioned the King's Head, and I, yes. they, they are annual hosts of a number of Fringe shows, and I believe it's the Fringe Festival where they, they their patio extends well, because they block off the street there, I think, right? Yes, yeah, they have a, a bigger patio, and they have, it's just a lot of more, a lot more people walking around the exchange, which is just a lot of fun. So if you happen to go, like if you're not used to going to the exchange and you go to the King's Head or any of these restaurants, I mean, and I say this because I used to date somebody who worked at the King's Head, and they work their 
butts off. This is their busiest time of the oh, year. Oh, 100%. So just if just remember to be nice. They're working hard at all of those restaurants right now. They're working their butts off. So I just, could not uh, agree more. We were at there last night for have, having a bite, and I asked the guy right away after we got our food if we can get the bill because we wanted to you know hurry up and get to the venue right after, and he was super nice to give him a good tip. And, yeah, they're on their feet all the time working hard. Because so. they've got a really neat venue just to the north of – the King's Head, right? It's well, it's sort the, of, they, it's, have, they have venues around there. The King's Head also on literally just on the second floor of the King's Head, they turn into a, a venue as well. Like that, okay. that's where our show was last night. So we ate at the King's Head, paid up, walked up the stairs, and there we were. All sorts of venues all around the Exchange District. It's spread out a little bit because it's gotten so big. It is. It is. Yeah, there's some everywhere. There's down. Uh, there's a venue down at, at the West End uh, Cultural Center as well. Uh, some at the uh, Asper Center. By the U of uh, U of W there, so it's it's all over the place. It's it's really huge. Um, it's the 30th anniversary, and it's just it's a lot of fun. I think I've got, pardon me, about 16 shows I'm going to this year, Fantastic. and that's I would go to more, except my my stupid brother's having a wedding on Saturday that I have to go to. So, <laughs> wait a hi Ian, congratulations! Way to I'll go, see you Saturday. Ian. Good job, Marriage man. Ruins everything. <laughs> How see, much are these shows? In- they are between ten and twelve bucks a ticket. If you can get, if you get a, uh, they have frequent fringer passes, which you can get either seven or fourteen shows, and they're about, I think the seven one's about sixty bucks, and then the fourteen's about one hundred and twenty bucks. And yeah, you can get them online and in advance, or like you said, just mill around the exchange and show them your pass and get in and. Have a have a good time. Laugh or cry, depending on what show you want to see. Sometimes both. Right well, Bigfringe.com is the website. 30 years. And uh, remember, we're ba- still battling Edmonton, right, for the largest fringe Edmonton festival and in, North, Edin- in North, North America. America. Edinburgh is still number one overall, oh, I believe. Oh, yeah, kills that just, both that, of that's us. That's huge. But yeah, I think, but- yeah, Edmonton and us. Neck we and go neck. back and forth, yeah. Yeah, we, we have to do our part to make sure we beat Edmonton at something. Yes, yeah, so get out and get out and fringe. Kyle Milroy, thank, thank you, you very much. Thanks, guys. Uh, I want to look at this uh, giant program that you have here. Um, where do you? Where can you get that again? You said Liquor Mart. Liquor Mart's uh, down at a lot of the venues. The main uh, box office is the, the on Market Avenue. There, you can go and uh, pick them up there. But Brett, you can have mine because I'm done with it. So, oh my, have at okay, her. Maybe there I'll, you go. Yeah. Thank By you. the way, our uh, Super Spike winner, Wally Antoniak, he knew that uh, Taylor Pischke is going out with. Tom Wilson of the Washington Capitals. And of course, her dad, Garth Pischke, the legendary head coach of the University of Manitoba Volleyball Bisons men's team. One of the best volleyball players Canada has ever produced. So there you go. Tied it all together. Hockey, volleyball, TMZ style gossip, and uh, the beach and super spike. Uh, Five elements there we managed to tie all together. Kyle Milroy, thanks for your time this afternoon. Happy fringing. Thank you. We'll update you on weather, traffic, and then Richard Cloutier pops in to share with us what he has in store between 4 and 7 this afternoon here on 680 CGOB. If you hit Old Market Square right now... Starting at 4 o'clock, Ruben dot, dot, dot will be on the stage. The Incredible Isaac at 5. Paper Machetes at 6. Circus Firemen at 7. Big Wheel Show at 8. And Ruben dot, dot, dot back at 9. Summer Dwellers at 10. And Snake Skin Bandeau, if you want to hit the free stage as part of the 30th Annual Fringe Festival. And it's one of those times of the year when you're in Market Square and you look around and if you squint... And you're just at the right angle. You could be in New York. You could be in Chicago, in any of the great cities of the world. It's one of my favorite times in the city. Richard Cluche joins us in studio. And Rich, you saw a couple of shows last night yourself. The story of beer at the King's Head as well, uh, in a great venue to see it because you can actually have a beer or two 
or three when you're watching the play, it was so bad it was good. <laughs> was that because of the one, two, or three beers? You know, you it was or... just one of those quirky plays that a uh, little bit of history. I learned something about beer. I learned something about Winnipeg. So I certainly recommend it. But it was, uh, like I said, so bad it was good. And I think they purposely made it so bad that it would be good. Uh, the history of Canada in one hour is phenomenal. If you oh, get the neat. chance to go see it, see it. It is an amazing production, some of the same. Uh, so you see a real range there, and I love the fringe, and we'll get out as much as possible. Of course, OJ getting parole. He'll be out uh, sometime in early October. More on that story coming up on the news at 4 o'clock. The uh, minister responsible for the status of women will join us on the abortion pill. We'll hear from Centre Venture on what they're doing in the exchange. Of course, you've been talking about angled parking uh, we'll make that our question of the day. Would we like to see more angled parking the right way in the city of Winnipeg? I always laughed at communities that had angled parking, but I think it's probably a good idea, isn't well, it's, it? It's brilliant. And the way they're attempting to do it with the back in, that's the safest way, the most efficient way. But based on what I know about it, they're doing it on the wrong side of the street and, and, and they've destroyed one of the biggest benefits of the reversed angled parking, but uh, we'll dig a little bit deeper on that ourselves. The city of Winnipeg has launched a tool to help coordinate volunteers, especially at the community center level. And as a young dad, you know this, that uh, it's tough to get volunteers out. We're digging deeper on that story and what it really will take to revitalize our communities and community centers in this city. Uh, This is a good tool probably for single events when it comes to getting those commitments for coaching and other volunteer activities. It is very difficult in this city. More on that after 4.30. And uh, later, uh, our Global News colleague, Amber McGookin, on a cardiac event and an update on a story that we told you about here first about the heart attack and the AED that didn't work. Amber has talked to the family involved. More with her a little bit later. Thank you, Richard. Flying solo today, Richard Cluche on the drive home. He'll get you home safe. He'll get you home informed. And, of course, uh, sports, business news, entertainment. You got it. Conkin. Right here. Mike Conkin. Going to save the day today. The news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB with Richard Cloutier. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Jeff Fortier is in master, master control. Thank you, sir. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.